Right. Anyone seen the movie yet? That was my experience. Uh, I went Thursday night to see it. And uh, if, if you're new and you, you've not been here yet for this series, what we do is at in the spring, we look at kind of what the upcoming movies are and we decide, you know, we get in a room, and we say, you know, what are going to be the big hits of the summer? And what do those movies say about life and what are the themes? And a lot of times we just look at the trailer and say, you know, what, that's going to be the theme of this movie. And in this case, what you saw in the trailer, that's the total theme that you'll see in the whole movie. There's about three minutes of theme and then two hours and 15 minutes of just blow up stuff. And so if you're going to see the film for like this in-depth look at the theme, which is uh, kind of when things don't go as planned, you, you've seen probably what you need to see just right now. But if you're actually looking for an entertaining, cheesy, lighthearted movie where bombs are involved, then you should go see it. So there's my recommendation, somewhat slighted, uh, but we're really glad you're here. Uh, like I mentioned, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at uh, some of the summer hits. And it's not to promote the movie, but really to look at what does this movie uh, say about life? What does it say about themes that we experience in life? And we have the opportunity to take a look and kind of dissect this movie and, and determine uh, it brings up a theme about disappointment. And in this movie, John Cale, uh, Channing Tatum, is a Capitol policeman whose dream job is to be uh, in the Secret Service protecting the president. And about the first 10 minutes of the movie, uh, he has a job interview and he doesn't get the job. Uh, he didn't have the grades for it. He didn't have the work ethic for it. And he's basically dealt this huge blow, this something that he's been working for uh, a lot of his adult life. And uh, he, you know, with his daughter, she asked him if he got the job and he says yes. And uh, long story short, uh, he gets an opportunity to protect the president, not as a Secret Service agent, but actually just as a guy that's there when the White House gets taken. I mean, it could happen. It also could not. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to look at this idea of disappointment and this kind of idea of we have plans and what do we do in life when those things don't come to pass. And for a lot of us, I want to kind of talk about a picture that we have for our life. And for a lot of us, including myself, there's been times in my life when I have a picture and I tend to take a Sharpie permanent marker approach to my life and draw this picture of what my life will be. And what I've found out in my life is that a Sharpie, something that's permanent, something that's set, is often very dangerous when thinking through what my life will be. Because things change, things happen, they happen to me, they happen to others close to me, and that changes kind of the trajectory of my life, and different things happen. And what I find is the more I've drawn Sharpie of what my life will be like, the more I have to take a bigger, more permanent marker and scribble that out and draw something completely different. And you, you may have experienced that. When I was in seventh grade, I started playing uh, the drums. And to me, the drums were like the most important thing in my life. And, and I kind of had this vision of, you know, I'm just going to go to school and then eventually I'm going to be a rock and roll star. You know, that was kind of just on my list of things to do. And so I, I worked at drums really hard. I, every week I was looking in the classifieds to see what kind of drums I could buy. I finally got my own drum set. I practiced a lot. And then when I was 16 years old, I was playing at my church in the youth group band. And we had this guest band there that was going on tour. And the guy who was the leader of the band comes up to me being 16. And he says, hey, have you ever thought about being in a band? And it was like lights just. Oh. And I was 16. And my answer was, 
the thought had come across my mind. Yes. And he said, well, how would you like to come on tour with us this summer? And I was just trying to be composed. But inside I was like cartwheel, you know, I was doing a little dance and I was like, this is awesome. But I said, you know, that'd be really great. Let me talk to my parents. And I talked to them. I was 16. I said, hey, mom and dad, I have an opportunity to be in this band. You have no idea who these people are. And they want me to fly to Missouri, take my drums and go on toward them. What do you guys think? And that was my face, just like that. And my parents said, well, let's pray about this and let, let's kind of ask questions like, who are they? And uh, we asked questions and, and kind of all these doors open. And lo and behold, after my junior year of high school, I packed up my drums. I went in a plane and I went to Missouri. And that was what I thought was going to begin the new chapter of my life as a rock and roll star. What happened was I unpacked the drums. I met with the band. We started playing together. And it was really evident that, like, this wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't quite what they thought it was going to be. I was a 16-year-old away from everything I knew, all the people I loved, about to play music with them. And it was like there was no gelling. And in music, gelling is very important. It's this compatibility. It's this idea of you you gel together and it just you groove and you jam. It's all that cool music stuff. And I started playing and I was like, this is terrible. And, but I'm like, but it's not that bad because this has to work out because I'm going to be a rock and roll star. But this is terrible. This is me playing the drums, in case you're wondering that. Maybe that's why it's terrible. That's what it was right there. And all of a sudden, they had a band meeting. I was like, wow, this is cool. Like, first band meeting, you know, and they, we all gather. And I'm like, this, this isn't going to be good because it, it feels a little tense. But let's just talk it through as a band. You know, you work through problems, you know, to get better. You work, work it through. And they gather together in the living room. And we're there. And, and they start, let's, let's, let's just talk about what's going on. The guy looked at me and said, Alex. I don't think this is going to work out. And I did what any 16 year old boy did or would do or might even do today. And that was just (laughs) I started bawling right in front. Like if that wasn't just case in point, why it wouldn't work out. Just started crying like a little baby. And I got up and I went into this room and I just cried. And what I realized is I had my picture. I had it in Sharpie and It lasted a week. And a week later, I flew home with all my drums and said, hey, mom, dad, I'm back. (laughs) Didn't work out. We had a band meeting. (laughs) Didn't work out. And that was really the last of my rock and roll pursuit. Uh, In fact, me playing the drums kind of went downhill from there. Just played a little bit, played a little bit. And then here today, I, I, I haven't played in a couple years. And that was kind of, that was my life. I thought that was going to be everything that I was going to base my life on. I was picturing like after high school, what it was going to be like my friends at graduate. Hey, yeah, maybe I'll see you on tour. Maybe. And there was no tour. I was in Missouri for one week and it was humiliating coming home to all my youth group friends. Like, Hey, what are you doing back? Yeah, it didn't work out. And that was like my first taste of this dream that I had that, that was crushed. And if you're like me, you, you may not have been a rock and roll star or wanted to be, and I don't advise it for any of you. It didn't work out well, but there's other things that we have in our life that we kind of have dreams for. Uh, Those could be maybe related to our kids. We have a certain picture of what we want them to be or what we want them to be about. We really want them to be successful. And maybe they're adults now and we're thinking, wow, they're not quite as successful as I thought. What what did I what did I do wrong? Or there's maybe relationships that you had early early in your life and you thought this person, this was going to be the dream relationship and it didn't work out. 
Uh, maybe there's this plan for the perfect family. You're married and you have this idea of you want a certain amount of kids at a certain time. And maybe you can't have the certain number of kids you want, or maybe the timing is way off from what you thought. And you find yourself looking at your picture and just determining what you're going to scribble out. Uh, maybe you have this idea of the perfect retirement. And the beautiful thing about a perfect retirement is that you don't really know what it's going to look like until it happens. And in this economy, what you thought was going to be a beautiful thing can be terrible. Maybe I can't stop work as early as I thought. Maybe my investments weren't going to turn out as quite like I thought they would. And all these things, we, we have just this picture in our head of what our is going to be about. In the movie, John Cale, Secret Service, didn't happen. What tends to happen is not just that we have these pictures that kind of aren't exactly what we think they should be, but there's these emotions and there's these reactions and these realities that come when those dreams don't become fulfilled. Uh, things like bitterness. You're just bitter because you had this idea and it didn't work out. And you're not exactly sure who to blame, but you want to blame somebody. And so oftentimes you may turn to God. Why did you let this happen? Or you may turn to someone else who caused a situation that kind of derailed you from what you wanted. There's frustration, there's bitterness, there's anger, there's blame. All these emotions are, are very real. And so what I want to do for the rest of this message is look at what does the Bible's perspective say about what to do when things don't go as planned. What, what's the attitude that we should have? What are the things that we should be thinking through? Uh, what are some ways that we can actually look at our picture of our life differently? And my hope is that as you experience those emotions and you experience maybe this picture of your life that's not exactly panned out the way you thought, that, that you'll actually experience in a way a new beginning or a new hope. And that's what God wants to do. As we enter in a relationship with God, you find that maybe the picture that you had, if it's not come to fruition, that's not the end. It's not the, the last chapter. There's actually something new that God wants to do as you walk with him. And so I want to kind of approach that perspective of maybe what we thought we wanted has not happened, but, but what now? And so let's look at that. We're going to turn uh, to the book of James and look at a few passages from there. James is in the New Testament, and it's, it's written really as just practical help uh, for life. And the verses we're going to read is connected to the, this group of people that a, they, they just they're discouraged in a way. The things that they thought was going to happen hasn't happened. And they're just oppressed by different people. And and they're just experiencing this just hopelessness. And, and here's some advice that I wanted to share with you that was shared with them. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so here's some things that you can do when things don't go as planned. The first is set your hope on the future God has promised. This is actually a very different perspective than what we face a lot of times in our culture. In our culture, there's this idea if you have a problem, you Google it. And you solve it as quick as you can. Does anyone else just Google all the time? I, I, I literally, I Google multiple times every day. I'm just going to, in full, just honesty, I'm going to, for instance, this morning, I wasn't sure, like, do I wear black shoes or brown shoes? I'm just going to be honest. And I was kind of embarrassed, like, I'm not going to ask any friends. Don't ask me why I'm sharing this right now. But I was embarrassed and I thought, well, black shoes or brown shoes? 
I'm going to Google it. And oftentimes Google is really helpful this morning. It wasn't helpful at all because it was in like, well, if you're wearing a blue suit with a different color shirt. And I was like, no, I just need I need to plug in a formula. Navy blue, gray pants, what color shoes? And if you're into fashion, I may have struck out. I don't know. I picked brown. Here I am. Google didn't help me this morning. Okay, but there's this thing where if I have a problem, I type it into Google, I press enter and it gives me the results. Or if I'm feeling lucky, I just whatever they give me first. Right. You ever done that on the crazy side? But life isn't exactly like that. You can't Google all your problems and all your issues that you have. You can try, but like me, you kind of just have to make a decision, put the brown shoes, hope people think it's okay. Right. Because life just, you, you can't Google life. It's true, you can't. And you can't necessarily talk to people who are going to be able to solve your problems instantaneously. Instead, there's this idea in the Bible that looks to a time that is not now, and it's described as the coming of the Lord. I want to just give you this perspective, because for me, it was, it's been a real challenge to me as I've been thinking about this. We're commanded to be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord is talking about this time when Jesus comes to wrap up history and makes everything right that is wrong. There's this picture that's of life that until the coming of the Lord, you're going to have disappointment. Until the coming of the Lord, you're going to experience trouble. Until the coming of the Lord, life is going to be messy. You don't find that a lot of times in kind of these self-help books. But there's this picture in the Bible which is basically saying life isn't going to work out exactly as it should. Now, if that's not one of the most sobering thoughts, it's just this picture of life is going to be painful. Life is going to have disappointment. There's this idea of being patient. You look to the time when the things that are messed up can actually get fixed. That's the hope that we have. And if you're a Christ follower, there's this picture of you know that right now, not everything is going to go exactly like you thought. You're not going to get exactly what you want. There's things that you want that you shouldn't get. There's things that you want that you should get that you still may not get. Because there's this idea in the scripture that you realize you kind of have to deal with a level of just this reality of life, which is broken. And it's not fully restored until the coming of the Lord. So on that day, not, not a day sooner, all, all will be made right. So what's happening here is in, in this, this passage, there's this picture of, I know you guys are in pain. I know you feel this frustration. I know your experiences have kind of worn you down. But have hope. When Jesus comes back, all will be made right. Throughout history, there's been people that have tried to pinpoint to this time when Jesus will return. I don't know if you've ever kind of looked at any of this stuff, but it's fascinating. And throughout history, there's always these times like there, there's twofold. It's like the world will end, right? I think that was supposed to be recently. The world was going to end. They were wrong. Do you know that? Because we're still here. And there's been people that maybe the world's going to end, but there's, they're still trying to figure out when Jesus is going to come back. They were wrong. He, he still hasn't returned. And why do I know? Because not everything has been made right yet. Stuff is still messed up. Stuff's still haywire. 
And so there's a perspective that while you wait for the coming of the Lord, you realize that the disappointment and the trouble that you face, uh, God actually does want to use for your good. But you also have to have this idea of there isn't going to be such a thing as heaven on earth. It won't happen. In this life, until the Lord comes back, it's broken, it's fallen, there's problems. And instead of being kind of like, oh, well, isn't this just the most uplifting message I've ever heard? There's this picture of you actually have hope in the future, not in the present ease that we experience. What tends to happen is when we think everything is going to work out exactly like we think, like the picture we've created is going to turn out, we have expectations. There's a reality in life that unfulfilled expectations, they breed disappointment. If you're experiencing a lot of disappointment this morning, if you pinpoint it and you kind of unravel and you kind of peel back what's going on in your life, there's probably a little bit of expectation. There's a certain thing that you thought should happen in a certain timing, in a certain way, with certain people. And in your life, it's not turned out. And if there's disappointment, most of the time, it's at those points where our expectations, they've, they've not become fulfilled. So our patience should be fueled by future hope, not present ease. That's what it is. But what tends to happen is many people, they have this idea of what should have happened and they, they get mad at, mad at God because he let something happen. He didn't come through the way they should. And they, they actually disconnect. They kind of get away from God, get away from others, and they, they isolate themselves. And oftentimes life begins to unravel even more. And so the writer is saying, just be patient, endure, stand up under it. It will not be like this forever. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make everything right. And it may not be in our lifetime. We may die, but if you've committed your life to Christ, even in death, everything will be made right. That's how we deal with things when they, they don't go as planned. I want to move on to the second part of, of James. So patience is fueled by future hope and pre, uh, fueled by future hope, not present ease. Uh, in verse seven, the, the second part, uh, there's another idea. Not, this is don't get derailed from doing uh, what's needed right now. If you have your picture and there's something that you want in your life and it's not happened, you can be just overwhelmed and overwhelmed by disappointment. And here's some perspective in verse 7. It says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. So here's a picture of farming, which sometimes when I read about farming, there's just a part of me that's like, you know what? I'm not a farmer. Okay, I'm trying to picture this, but... What, what does that mean? I, I'm not I've not been in agriculture. I can try to garden. It doesn't go well. a lot. I'm a good killer of things, not a grower of things. But this idea of farming is something that's kind of related to the seasons of life. So, so bear with me. But it's this idea of when you farm, there's a time to, you know, plow the fields. You, you know, you plant the seeds. You prune it, you harvest it and you do it all over again. But when you're a farmer. You plant all these seeds and there's a certain percentage of how much of those seeds are going to produce the fruit that you want. It's based on a percentage. And most farmers are really good and they have people working with them that kind of determine this is what the harvest is going to be. And they base their life on that harvest. 
But there's times because of a lot of different reasons that the harvest doesn't quite turn out the way that the farmer had hoped. And so what the writer here is saying is if you're a farmer and your crop doesn't produce what you thought, you can't just kind of sit down on your field, cross your legs and just say, it's not worth it. I needed this harvest, but it's not here. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to throw my hands up and sit here. A farmer can't afford to do that. Because a farmer always has to be plowing, or they need to be seeding, or they need to be harvesting, or they need to be pruning. There's never a part in which a farmer can stop farming. What the writer's saying here is there's, if you're dealing with disappointment, there's not a part where disappointment can stop you from living. Just like the farmer cannot stop farming, we cannot stop living. If our harvest or if our crop or if this picture of what was going to happen hasn't come to fruition. So that's the picture of patience. The farmer can't dwell on lost crops. And we shouldn't dwell on lost opportunities or disappointment or our plans that haven't come to pass. Because what tends to happen is disappointment can cause us to miss The present opportunity. So I want you to think for yourself. Is there something you could look back? There was a kind of a dream that you had or there was something that you really wanted. And and it didn't happen. Is there anything you can think through? Maybe when you were young, a lot of times when we're young, we have all these dreams. And there's that reality in life when all your dreams as a kid, you realize like, you know what? I don't think I can do that. Like, I wanted to be a pilot. This was before the rock band, but I wanted to be a pilot. And then somebody said, like, you have to be good at math. And, like, I'm not good at math. That dream was over very quickly. But when we're young, we have all these dreams, and then, like, somebody just kind of gives you that reality, like, mm, I don't think that's going to happen. And you can be crushed by it. But these things trickle on in the life as well. We, just, we have these pictures of what, what we want our life to be about. So I want you to think, is, is there this kind of time in your life where you've experienced that disappointment? I want you to think, what, what does disappointment do, do to you? In my experience, disappointment, it, it's kind of overwhelming. And as you relate to people, disappointment can also affect them. Could you imagine you're disappointed by something? It's a huge blow. And like your kids and your spouse are relating to you. And you're just so disappointed Like, oh, this is terrible. Think about what they think or what they feel. It's like your dream has been crushed, but they're there living with you in your house. And they're, you know, like, like, remember us, dad? Like, we're still here. You ever think about that? This disappointment, what it does to those that relate to you. What am I, chopped liver? That kind of reminds me of that phrase, reminds me of this, this thing or when we wallow in, in disappointment, uh, you know, what are we telling our kids? What are we telling our friends? What are we telling our family? Like, what's really important to us? If it, if it doesn't come true, if what we hope doesn't happen, how we react, what does that say about what's important to us? These are all the things that disappointment can do. It's, it's very real. But our response to it is, is crucial. The other thing, if you're at work and you wanted a promotion, I don't know if you've ever been skipped over pr- for a promotion. That, that can be just a debilitating thing. And in the work life, if you just allow disappointment just to just kind of tear you up from the inside out, 
you begin to not really work hard. You know, you start telling yourself like, well, they're not going to appreciate me. I'm going to find another job. And like in this day and age, like that could be two years. Trying to find another job is like that difficult. You can even be disappointed for that. I want a new job, but I can't find a new job because they're not appreciating me here. And then you look out and there's like, there's no other jobs. And that's disappointing. And what you can tend to do in, in work, you can kind of just really not take care of your responsibilities anymore. All these things are real. And if we're not careful, we have these expectations. They've led to disappointment and disappointment causes us to miss the present opportunity. Just like the farmer, the farmer throws his hands up and says, I'm not planting any more seeds. How many fruit, how much fruit will a farmer get from seeds he did not plant? You ever thought about that? I'm not good at math, but I think that's zero. You can't get fruit from seeds you have not planted. Same is true in life. You may have had a plan. May not have happened, but what are you doing right now with the people that God's given you, with the opportunities that you have at work, in your life, every arena? What are you doing with what you've been given? Are you allowing disappointment to just take your focus away from the things that you have? So we can learn a lot from farming. And then finally, uh, we're instructed to, to be patient and don't lose heart. This is verse 8, chapter 5. It says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So he starts, Be patient. Wait for the coming of the Lord. Then he talks about farming. And he's like, Okay, I might have lost them on the farming because they're not farmers. Then he comes back, verse 8. You also be patient. All these things I was saying about the farmer and how he has to be patient, has to continue doing what he's supposed to do, that's for you. You be patient. And he goes back to what he said. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. This is talking about this, this timer that we set on our life. If you're in a tough spot right now in some relationships that you have or at work or just life is more complicated than you anticipated and you're just trying to figure out when does it become more simple? When does things start to work out like I thought? When is what I'm planting going to produce the crop that I want? And again, we just kind of want to Google it. We want an immediate 2.3 second response. What this is saying is this idea of patience is you set your timer for the long haul. Usually we set a timer with like a countdown, right? Like you're going on vacation. You've seen those like you can kind of have your vacation countdown. And it's like awesome. And it gives you like you have three hours till your vacation. And then like your vacation is here and the countdown's given to you. And then you get back from your vacation. It's so depressing because then you see the countdown. It's like at zero and you're like, well, I've already had it. We like countdowns. But as we wait on the Lord and his coming, his return that makes everything right, it's more like a stopwatch. You press start. And you don't know how long it's going to be. It just the time keeps going and time keeps going. We can't predict when he's going to return. We can't predict when everything's going to be made right. We know we're still going to have disappointment. We're going to have to deal with it right. But there's certain things I can focus on. I can be patient. Focus on the present opportunity. We all have an opportunity. This is what the writer's saying. 
in the midst of everything that we experience and all the things that we have that haven't turned out like we thought, we have an opportunity to connect with the God who in the end will make it all right. And in the meantime, while things are still a little bit broken, he still wants to have a relationship with us. So I want to encourage you. If you're facing some things and you have this kind of idea in your head, like I can only deal with this for one more week. I can only deal with that person for one more day. I can only handle this stress for one more month. And we have all these kind of ideas of the time that we can handle things. We don't know. That's what the writer's saying. You have to be patient. Now, God is gracious. This doesn't mean that he doesn't help you now. It's not like you, you ask God, hey, God, I really need your help. He's like, I will help you when I return. In the meantime, Google it. Right? That's not in the Bible. He actually does help us here and now. It's really talking about don't be surprised. You have the stopwatch. Probably this week, somebody in here will face a major disappointment in life. All of us will probably experience trouble of some kind. So even in the here and now, God wants to help us. He wants to use it for our good. But ultimately, there's a promise. We have hope in him and his return. And that kind of goes back to our, our view of God. We, we tend to view God as, you know, he's, he's helpful when I need him. And he sometimes hears me and answers my prayer according to what I think. Or maybe Jesus, you know, he was a good teacher. Kind of not exactly sure about everything he said. Not exactly sure if he's God. And we have all these views of Jesus and God and kind of our God concept. But our view of God is very important here. Because if we don't really think God is who he says he is, what's our hope in the end? What's our hope for all the stuff that's messed up? For me, I've realized that I can't place my hope in anything else to make things right. Who else could do that? What could I do myself? So it's very important to all of us to see is, is this idea that we have about God, does this line up that he's going to be coming back? To restore everything. So I want to encourage you, if you're not quite sure of who God is, who Jesus is, and the role he wants to play in your life, it's a good opportunity to investigate it as we talk about this. Because our view of him and how he will restore or how he will come back and make everything right is crucial to our perspective. Because if there is no God, then this is it. And if this is it, then what's our hope? And so I want to encourage you, take the time to really think this through. And we want to help you as a church. We want to help you do that. There's a, a promise in Scripture that's kind of in line with all of this, and I wanted to share this in closing. As the band comes up, I'm going to be walking through some next steps, and I'm going to show you a, a brief clip. But I want to walk through this passage. It's in Second Peter 3. This is a beautiful description of what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. It says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved 
and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Just a little light passage, right? Let's pack through with just this heavy picture of God. But this is idea of there's renewal. There's a freshness. There's a new opportunity at life. But it also tells us how we ought to live. In holiness and godliness. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen exactly. But right now we're going to set our lives to decide to do it his way. Because if he's the one coming back to expose everything, to show us what really is going on, to show us what we're really about, it's very important that we connect with the God who will return to make it all new. So there's some next steps that you can take this week as I wrap up. On your connection card that Ben had you fill out, why don't you pull that out? And in a moment, uh, we're going to be receiving our offering and you can drop that completed connection card. On the back side are some next steps that you can take. Uh, related to this message, also related to a uh, church in the valley. If you want more information or you want to sign up for some meetups that Ben mentioned, uh, you can let us know. Uh, but the, the first step uh, that you can take, if you could scroll up so I could see it, that'd be great. The other way, sorry. There you go. Uh, not to let the death of a dream remove me from the present. Is there anything there that's just, you've realized you really hankered or kind of decide this is what your life wants to be about and it's not happened. Uh, for the first time, I accept Jesus as my Savior and will follow him as Lord. That's kind of that initial investigation. If you want more information on what that means, you can check that. Uh, focus on the day of the Lord at least one time this week. As you face something and it just unravels, you just tell, you know, God, this is a lot of stress and it's not going how I thought. But I know when you come back, I'm not going to experience this anymore. But in the meantime, just help me. You just you cry out to God for help. You could sign up for a life group and then some of the meetups on there. I wanted to close with it with a clip of uh, a story of a man called Chuck Colson. And uh, if you've never heard of Chuck Colson, he uh, he died last year. He was kind of the right hand man, of President Nixon, uh, when Nixon uh, was president. And he was in the heart of the Watergate scandal. And uh, if you don't know anything. To, I don't have time to talk about it, but you can Google it. Okay, uh, but he basically built his life, and he was probably the second most important man in in the nation. And he got caught up in a scandal of Watergate and trying to do some things that were illegal, obstruction of justice. He got arrested, put in jail, from the ultimate power to the ultimate humiliation. And uh, he in prison. Uh, or actually on his way to prison, committed his life to Christ. Somebody gave him the book, Mere Christianity, and said, you know, if all you're facing, if you want to kind of find out God in the midst of this, read this book. And he read the book, and he began to see that it was more than being this man of influential power and this presence in the White House, but there's actually something that God had for his, his life. And as he went to prison, he served his term, and as he got out, he decided that you know, he, he couldn't be a lawyer anymore. He was, wasn't going to be able to go back to the White House. He was a convicted felon. But he started a prison ministry. And Prison Fellowship is one of the biggest, or if not the biggest, uh, ministry to prisoners and ex-prisoners and their families in, in the world. And he decided to use this opportunity where life was going to be a certain way. And he decided to kind of look at God and say, okay, I had my Sharpie. I've got to scribble this out. What, 
What's the dream that you want for me? And so in closing, I want you to hear a little bit about his story. But there's a second paradox, just like it, not unlike it. Second paradox is this. When you think everything is broken and gone in your life, as I did, there I am in prison. And uh, I had opportunities. I wasn't disbarred in my home state. I could go back and practice law. Uh, and I got along in prison. I'd been in the Marines. I know how to handle myself in that environment. Life threatened it once, seriously. But I managed it. That wasn't the tough part. Being separated from my family, that's tough. The tough part was realizing that all my life I'd been idealistic as a kid. I'd wanted to get ahead because I wanted to serve my country. I wanted to do something important. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to make this a better world to live in. I wanted to contribute to that. I was very idealistic. That meant much more to me than making money. And I realized I'll never have that chance again. Disgraced politician, public enemy number one, butt of all the jokes and ridicule, particularly when my conversion became public and everybody was mocking it. It was front page news every day for a year in the middle of Watergate. Commentaries on the news networks night after night. Chuck Colson improbably has become a Christian. I realized I'm never going to be able to do something significant or important in my life again. Don't ever underestimate God. I got out of prison and realized I had many offers. I had some good offers, as a matter of fact. A man flew from Texas and said, I'll put a million dollars in your capital account after one year if you'll come in and work with me. I had all kinds of opportunities. But I decided that I'd been in prison for a purpose, that God wanted me to be back in the prison, and so I started going back in. And from those very, very modest beginnings, I took the first book royalties that I earned when a book I sold and put them into this ministry to get it started. From those very humble beginnings has come a ministry today that runs ten prisons in America as Christian prisons as models, getting a phenomenal recidivism rate, phenomenal success. We have 50,000 volunteers around America, and the ministry has spread to 113 countries of the world. Every Christmas, we deliver gifts to children whose parents are imprisoned. 500,000 kids a year. We've been doing this since 1982. Incredible things happening, none of which I planned. You've got to believe me. I'm a pretty good strategist. I knew how to plan things. I didn't plan this. I thought, okay, God, if you want to take me and use me in the prisons, you take me and use me in the prisons. And he did far more with my life out of my brokenness and out of my weakness than I'd ever been able to do with my life out of my own power and influence and abilities. 